You have a family member enrolled in EFMP, and you want to know how to best advocate for them. Today, we'll get some great advice about knowing your rights, building relationships, and more in this podcast for families enrolled in EFMP. I'm Jen Wong, and this episode is about advocating for yourself and others. Hi, and welcome to the EFMP and Me podcast brought to you by the Office of Special Needs and Military OneSource. I'm Jen Wong, Program Analyst with the Office of Special Needs and your host for today's episode. This podcast series highlights topics you can explore further by visiting EFMP and Me on Military OneSource. EFMP and Me is a digital tool that provides valuable, exceptional family member program-related topics, resources, and checklists to service members, families, providers, and leaders 24-7. Today, we'll be discussing advocating for yourself and others, and we'll focus on three key areas, knowing your rights through the policy or law, knowing your resources, and building relationships. I'm pleased to welcome Gunnery Sergeant Marine Corps retired, Jonathan Alexander. Jonathan, could you please share a little more about yourself? Yes, I can. Thanks for having me here today, Jen. Absolutely. I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 2004 and reported for duty as a bugler to Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C., uh, and my unit was the Commandant's Zone, the United States Marine Drum and Bugle Corps. I am currently married with four children, and while I was in the Marine Corps, two of those children were enrolled in the Exceptional Family Member Program at Henderson Hall while I was stationed at the barracks. Uh, in 2017, I was medically retired from the Marine Corps, and at that point, we moved our family to Hawaii. And since then, I've completed my Master of Social Work degree with a concentration in Military and Veteran Affairs at Hawaii Pacific University. And I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Hawaii, and my focus is early childhood special education. My youngest daughter is currently receiving special education services here in the public school system in Honolulu. And to kind of wrap all that up, uh, my wife is the person that has taught me to be an advocate. Uh, In the Marine Corps, a lot of of what we do revolves around your obedience to orders. And so with that, you get comfortable with someone telling you what to do and you do it. It, It's how we're effective. And it didn't really work out that way with our kids. You know, there were situations where we weren't getting what we needed with the with the medical staff. And, you know, seeing her advocate for our children produced results and it produced results that were beneficial to them. And so through that process, you know, I started to learn about how I needed to be vocal for others that aren't able to do so themselves. That's amazing. You and your wife sound like a power team when it comes to advocacy. (laughs) And you sound very busy. I'm very jealous that you all are busy in Hawaii. (laughs) Yeah, it's sunny today. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's jump in. You know, We have some great conversation today. Let's jump right into the first topic, which is knowing your rights or your family members' rights and the policy or the law. So, Jonathan, you sort of alluded to this. I'm guessing that coming from a military background that you may intuitively refer back to policy. Yeah. I mean, policy is the framework by which most of us operate in the military. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever there are questions about what it is we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to complete that task, we refer back to policy. It's all laid out in there. And if that's not something you're familiar with reading, it can be very confusing. Mm. And so, you know, from, I'll call it a young age in the Marine Corps, we're taught to read orders, policies, and directives because it shapes 
how our career is going to turn out. It shapes how effective your unit's going to be. And, you know, that applies to the military just as much as it does to the civilian side of things and with uh, special education rights. Mm, I could definitely see that because I could also see that referring to policy and learning that in the military is such a great foundational skill for military members and military families that can easily transition into the civilian life when it comes to advocacy. So, for example, let's say you want to advocate for your child who may need additional support in school. You know, what what laws cover that? Is it IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act? Is it Section 504? Is it both? Um, If it's a federal law that the states need to abide by, are some states going above and beyond and even providing more protections? And so mobile military families need to be aware of that when they're PCSing as well. So I think it's very important to research the current and the most um, up-to-date and correct version of the policy or the law so families can be informed to effectively advocate for themselves or for family members. Yeah. And and with that, it's like, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And, and what I mean by that is here, here's a great example. Um, when you enlist in the Marine Corps and you choose a job, there's a foundation of knowledge that you have coming in. But as far as that job's concerned, you don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. So they send you to school and you learn everything there is to know about it at the rank that you're at. As you progress, you acquire more information mm-hmm. and, you know, you you add those skills onto what your toolbox is and not knowing anything about this policy, you know, it, it can be scary. And, and so the big thing is, is like, you know, we need to empower parents Mm. to get past that uncomfortable stage. It's uncomfortable learning new things. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, one of the things that we need to understand is that we do have a voice. Mm -hmm. Now, with that voice, you know, how do we speak up? Well, you know, some of the things you can do is make a list. Every time something pops in your head, every time you have a question that you might not feel comfortable asking, just just make that list because at some point you're going to be able to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Break past that uncomfortable barrier And, you know, an example is the IEP meeting, IEP, you know, individualized education program. IEP meetings can be very scary. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of specialists there. There's your teacher. There's you. And, you know, when you're sitting at a table where you're not at the head of the table, but all the specialists are, there's a lot of uncertainty that occurs and you may not feel comfortable addressing it at the time. But one of the things that they do at this meeting is that they give you a questionnaire. They give you, you know, these are your rights and your privileges throughout this process. So if you don't feel comfortable speaking to them directly, you can fill out that questionnaire and you can send it in and, you know, you'll get some feedback. Um, If you don't feel comfortable going by yourself, bring someone in to support you. There's a lot of advocate groups out there that can come sit with you in a meeting and at least, you know, make you feel more comfortable that you're not there alone. Absolutely. And that that questionnaire you referenced, you know, even for some families, if that particular school district doesn't offer that questionnaire, I'm sure that they can email, you know, the IEP team in advance or provide that list of questions you said to make in advance. So that way, if you feel uncomfortable or you feel like you might forget at the meeting to bring those up, you can provide that to the IEP, you know, the teacher at the IEP meeting and she may read them for you there. Exactly. Um, So I could see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, 
a lot of that does sound overwhelming and and uncomfortable even. So as you kept moving forward in your advocacy journey, did you find help reviewing information or kind of interpreting all that jargon that happens? So, you know, it, it was tough for us initially, you know, like I mm-hmm. mentioned before, that this is a, a completely new topic area for us, something that we'd never experienced. And so, you know, it was a steep learning curve, but the Exceptional Family Member Program, you know, had come a long way since we started. You know, now, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great place for you to learn about this information. You can learn about your rights, your laws, you can learn about the policy. And you can also reach out to the schools. They have resources. You have your special education teacher, the department. Um, There's legal officers accessible across all the services at the JAG offices, um, as well as school liaisons. Mm -hmm. did Did I miss anything there? Well, I think you've just led us to our next topic in conversation, which is knowing your resources. And you just mentioned all of the great folks that you can reach out to and the resources available at the installation. But I would also add... Military One Source. And I would recommend starting with EFMP and me because even the example we were talking about earlier about special education and, oh, is that under this law or that law or what's an IEP or what's a 504? There's a whole section on EFMP and me that lays out what the options are for your child and the corresponding laws. And so you can go on there to kind of build that foundation and you can even sort the information by who you are. So if you're a service member or a family member or a leader at any level or even a professional like an EFMP family support provider or a school liaison, you can go on EFMP and me and those curated checklists and tool tips and references to other places on Military One Source like like these podcasts and fact sheets and e-learning courses. There's, there's so much of a variety um so that you can build that knowledge base in your advocacy journey. And so you can also learn what those other resources are out there. So I'd recommend starting there. I'd also, I'd also add the state parent training and information centers. Um, some people call them PTIs. And they provide information and assistance to parents of children receiving special education. And if you don't know your state PTI, you can ask your EFMP family support provider, or you can even go on Military One Source to look it up, or you can also call Military One Source and speak to a special needs consultant, and they can also provide that information and those referrals over the phone as well. Yeah, I agree. You know, Military One Source is great, Um, but... You know, if you are more comfortable speaking so- to someone face to face in the Marine Corps, we call it, you know, kneecap to kneecap or sitting right there. <laughs> um, you can always go stop in at your local EFMP office. You can mm-hmm. look through those flyers. You can look through those handouts that describe, you know, what EFMP is and what they can do for you and your family. You know, it's just like sometimes you just have to put it all out there, mm-hmm. you know, and reach out to that person <clears throat> that can help you. You know, it, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, talking to that EFMP family support provider or that school liaison, your nurse case manager, and just saying, hey, th- this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is my family's specific scenario. You know, I have concerns with this. You know, what do you think will help? Or, you know, even it's like, you know, I don't have a lot of concerns right now, but knowing our situation and what's going on with our family, it's like, do you have any resources? Do you have access to anything that can help us with short term and long term planning? That's a really great idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so just a small scenario for us was, you know, projecting ahead for when I was retiring, you know, just like you talking about those short term and long term goals. You know, mm-hmm. we came in, hey, this is what's going on. What do you guys think we should do? And, you know, we were able to sit down and have a, a pretty effective conversation as far as that was concerned. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, you know, when I was working at the installation, sometimes I got the impression that some families may have been hesitant to ask for help or like you said just just lay everything out on the table because they thought oh there's another family who has more needs you know i don't want to take up this person's time but i'm thinking of one example where i had asked this one family i said what does your family like to do for fun and he mentioned that his wife takes the other kids to ride bikes in the neighborhood while he stayed home with his son who was differently abled and didn't ride a bike and so i mentioned hey you know your county runs a, like a three-week program um, to teach the kids adapted bike riding. And they even have different modified bikes to meet their needs. And bike riding wasn't even the most important need on the table. Um, but just because he had come in and, you know, we had that open discussion to just say, hey, this is my family. You know, what's out there? Uh, what do you all do for fun? He was so ecstatic to learn about this quality of life program that could actually enable the whole family to enjoy bike riding together. Yeah. And I mean, that falls right in line with, you know, you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. by, by coming in or expressing that need through that conversation, you were able to provide this outlet where now the entire family mm-hmm. can go on and do activities together instead of, you know, one staying home and taking the other ones out. Absolutely. And, you know, when families are asking for specific resources or even just general resources, um, one thing that military families deal with is they learn all the resources and then it's time to PCS again. And you need to relearn the local laws or installation policies and the local resources for the new location. And so one thing that's nice that um, EFMP does offer, it's, it's called a warm handoff. So you can walk in and talk to your EFMP family support provider and tell them your family's moving. And you and that provider will review what services you're currently using that you'll need to set up at the next duty station, any questions about the actual travel, uh, maybe resources at the next duty station. And for example, the current provider, let's say they're in Virginia, they may not be the expert on the resources that are in Hawaii, but they can reach out to the provider who's in Hawaii and get the family and that provider connected and they can start coordinating together. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's essential. It's it's necessary and needed. I think without that warm handoff, you know, you're just going into that land of confusion. And so by by having that that resource there to tap into makes that transition along with all of the other things that are occurring for this PCF move just a little bit smoother. There's a lot of transitions in the military and it just causes, you know, a lot of relearning, a lot of relearning. But there's there's a wealth of information out there, a wealth of resources out there to be able to help along the way. Yeah. And so you you mentioned earlier, you yourself went through a transition with your retirement. You, well, you retired and you moved. Yeah. Um, a lot of things kind of all occurred at once. Um, I was going through my medical retirement process. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, as you, you were just discussing, a lot of different things are going on. Well, this medical retirement process happened to coincide with our oldest child starting high school, our middle two transitioning into middle school. 
And then we were still trying to find a good placement for our daughter in elementary school. And so the decision to move here was kind of twofold. Um, one, we came over to help take care of my wife's grandmother. Mm-hmm. But the other was, you know, we, we talked to our older son and, you know, I'm an I'm a army brat. I grew up moving quite a bit. And so we presented to him. It's like, OK, you're getting ready to go to high school. We can stay here in the D.C. area. If you start here, you finish here. If we're going to move, this is the time that we're going to move. And, you know, so we gave the option of Hawaii. You know, this is where my wife is from. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I want to go to Hawaii. And easy so, decision. Easy. Easy decision, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but logistically, it was, I mean, it wasn't a mess, but it was a mess. Um, mm. You know, so now we're thinking about getting the kids into schools. Where are we going to live? Um, how are we going to get our stuff over there? I know that the military helps with a lot of this, but the biggest thing for us was transitioning our daughter into a school system over here mm-hmm. that, well, one, we didn't really know anything about. And two, is wherever she's going to end up be a good fit for her? And so, you know, that's when all the questions started. You know, that's when we started reaching out. Hey, what do you guys know about the services over at Tripler? Because that's where we would be going since I was a retiree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to go to the EFMP office in Henderson Hall and have them tell us, you know, well, these are the people at Tripler that are in the EFMP program. You know, this is your social worker. This is your your counselor. You know, just knowing that information, having those numbers to give them a phone call if we needed to, you know, it helped kickstart the process. But at the same time, it also helped alleviate a lot of stress that we were currently going through because the medical retirement process in itself is very ambiguous. And what I mean by that is that, you know, from you beginning that process to ending could be anywhere from three months to a year. And so for me, that process ended up being a little bit over a year. So we actually moved my family a year before I came out. And so, you know, you add that on top of everything else. And logistically, it was a nightmare. But knowing that at least we were going to be able to get our children into school and, and find a good place for our little one just took a big load off of our shoulders. That's that's a lot of transition, a lot of transition, moving, medical, schools, um, even being geographically separated from your family all at once. <laughs> but you all made it through and it sounds like you made it through with some good help. Oh, yeah. The help was Fantastic. And the help that we continue to receive over here is great. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with just establishing those relationships prior to us coming over here to Hawaii. Okay, let's let's talk about the next topic. Then let's talk about relationships. Um, Those are so important. Um, And let's talk about, you know, how important do you think building relationships is? And, you know, how is your experience been? You said you've had a positive experience, but could you elaborate a little more about how you've been building those connections and how it helped you, but then also how it helped in your advocacy, having those people around you. Yeah. So um, our EFMP journey was a very long and slow journey at first. And the reason I say that is because EFMP itself has evolved. And, you know, as we get older, and more mature, we start to understand more and are able to advocate more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for us, when our, our youngest son, he was born in 2005, um, was going to be placed into EFMP, you know, well, one, we didn't even know what the exceptional family member program was. (laughs) It it was more of a, my command was like, you know, according to policy, you know, we need to enroll your son in EFMP. And so, Uh you know, going through that whole process, we did all of that. And then a year later, we would get contacted that 
we need to renew your eligibility again. And we're like, well, what, I mean, what is this for? Like, what are we doing? And so, you know, we thought it was an assignment only program. Like this is going to help us if we PCS. But, you know, after a few more years, our youngest daughter was born in 2011 and we knew that we needed to enroll her in EFMP. There was a change. There was a shift where they started reaching out to us more. And, you know, at that point, we realized that there was a family support component as well with EFMP. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we started engaging with the team there. Um, It got to the point that, you know, our conversations were so often that whenever I needed to stop by Henderson Hall, like that was the second stop for me at Henderson Hall. (laughs) I would go do whatever I needed to do. And then I would go into the office and hang out with them for like 30 to 45 minutes, catch them up on, you know, what our youngest two were doing. These are the things that we're going through. And, you know, that conversation would allude to, well, these are the things that we need. And so stopping in once a month, you know, twice a month gave us that comfortability to where we felt we could come in and ask questions. We felt that we could come in and, you know, this is where those seeds of advocating begins, just having those conversations, getting comfortable. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do that. And, And the really cool thing about it was, is that that family support component Um, they started doing outreach events. And you Uh mentioned earlier where, um, you know, the family was going bike riding and then you had that adaptive bike class Uh where their child could learn how to ride a bike. The events that we were able to go to with EFMP made it so that our entire family could go. You know, we're in that same scenario now, same scenario we were then is that, you know, one of the parents will go take the other three children to go to the movies Uh or to Dave and Buster's or whatever, And then the other parent would stay home or even with travel, you know, good example. My wife went to her sister's wedding this year and she took the other children and I stayed home with our young one. Mm -hmm. And being able to go to these events as a family was amazing. You know, we got to see service dogs in training with Semper Canine. Um, We got to have luncheons. You guys had children's activities. Um, There were activities that everybody in the family could do so I could walk around my little one and we could participate. And, you know, it was just great. And getting involved, feeling comfortable and everything was just such an immeasurable experience. And, you know, I really I really like two things that you just mentioned. well, first, if I could back up, you mentioned that your leadership had had said, hey, go enroll in, in EFMP. And I actually do like hearing that because it means folks are aware of the program, what it is, who's eligible. And so whether whether you're you're single and you don't have any dependents or whether you're in a leadership role, whatever role that is, knowing how to take care of the the people to your left and right and refer them where they need to go. So you you didn't know about EFMP and you got referred to it, right? Yeah. So then that way with the with your youngest child, you knew the next time around, hey, now I know what this is. I can enroll my daughter now. So that's pretty awesome. Exactly. And I would also like to say that around the time that we enrolled our daughter, um, we would have annual training every year. And that's when, you know, the education office would come over from Henderson Hall. And I remember the EFMP brief. And I think that it was so useful because just like you said, you know, you're going to have a lot of Marines, sailors, soldiers, airmen that are single or they have children and none of them have, you know, needs or disabilities that won't know about this resource. But Mm -hmm. they're going to have a junior Marine that has a child that has these special needs Mm -hmm. and they need that outlet. They need those resources. And so for them to be able to sit in this brief and see that, oh, this program is available just 
you know, fills their toolbox with the knowledge that they can impart on their younger Marines. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was something else that you said, you know, in your whole journey working with the program. And I love how you made it a two-way street, right? So you mentioned that EFMP reached out to you to say, hey, what's going on? Let's let's look at your paperwork, but let's also talk about you and your family. But then you made it a common occurrence to say, hey, let's go to the exchange and stop by and say hi to the EFMP folks. And so you kind of made that two-way, two-way street to build that relationship and, you know, showing up to the events and, you know, getting engaged not only with the professionals of the program, but also the other families that are there too. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea um, until one of the it was probably the first or second EFMP event that we went to that there were a few other Marines in my battalion that were also members of the EFMP. And, you know, knowing that they were there, it was, uh, it's kind of indescribable. I mean, you know, it's not like you're part of a secret club or anything, right? <laughs> but, but knowing that there are other people going through the same thing as you, you know, it opens up the dialogue between you and them as well. Um, mm-hmm. There was a admin officer that is currently, well, he was stationed over here and he knew I was coming over here because we retired and we were still able to see each other over here. Like the relationship that we built over there continued over here years apart because we had this, this commonality and, you know, them being new to the island gave us the opportunity to help them out around the island. So it's the same thing with those resources that we're sharing and becoming comfortable. You know, the relationships we formed with the families at EFMP lasts longer than your current duty station. You know, it lasts years and years. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear that you were able to get that from the program. And then also, I know a lot of families are able to build those relationships on the installation, you know, off the installation with civilian organizations and even online. There's a lot of great support groups and message boards or places to meet other individuals or families online. So the combination, you know, of it all, you kind of start creating this village around your family to support your family and you're sharing knowledge, you're sharing resources and you're really empowering each other to, like you said earlier, have that voice. Yeah. And, you know, with that village, you know, I just kind of want to talk about, you know, it's like we were around people who just got it. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't have to worry about our children melting down, screaming or crying, saying that they're just done, um, you know, doing diaper changes or like, hey, you know, one family might recognize that, oh, mom and dad need a couple minutes. So let's, you know, let's, hey, I, I got your child for a couple of minutes. Why don't you guys just go outside, take a breath and come back in. And that is all encompassing of that building a village, you know. And by having that village, you know, it creates this sense of empowerment. And that empowerment leads to you to be able to advocate more. You know, you start reading more. You start asking more questions. You gain confidence because you're in a safe space to begin that journey towards advocating for your child. And then, you know, even sometimes for yourself, you know, a great example of that village is the Marine Corps is very big on celebrating our birthday, uh-huh. November 10th, 1775. <laughs> yep. And if there's one thing we know how to do as Marines, it's have a good birthday party. <laughs> now, as much as it is mandatory to go, we want to go. Mm -hmm. But that's also an event where we want to bring all of our family members with us. We want them to be as proud of the Marine Corps birthday as we are of the birthday. 
But, you know, as our younger children with needs get a little bit older, it's not as feasible to bring mm-hmm. our entire family, you know, um, because of those meltdowns I was talking about earlier or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the child not wanting to be there. We don't want to interrupt the ceremony, you know, all of the pomp and circumstance. And so mm-hmm. one of the best memories I have of our EFMP experience in Virginia was that we had a cake cutting ceremony for the EFMP families. Mm. And so the CEO of, I think it was Henderson Hall, came in, he read uh, General Lejeune's birthday message. We cut the cake. We had a dance. You know, we had mm-hmm. food. And it was it was such a good time. You know, um, I, I love seeing those pictures pop up in my Facebook memories every year because it was a time where all five of us of our family were able to enjoy an event that I hold really dear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, although we couldn't have attended the battalion ceremony that year, thinking back is like, I didn't have to worry about that because I was able to take part in this ceremony. And, you know, that was one of the biggest areas that we felt the most support from our EFMP team and as well as, you know, all those family members. It's like you guys understood it. You know, you took something that Marines hold dear and you put it into a format that our families could participate. And, you know, it's just like sometimes I don't even realize that, you know, the pieces are starting to fall in place and that everything is connecting Yeah. And I bet that was really special for your wife and the kids as well, you know, not getting a sitter or not worrying about, you know, so many other pieces that to be able to go there and have that special memory for everybody. Yeah. And that was also the time like I just got injured. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was in crutches, you know, I was in a cast (laughs) on my leg. so, So I can't put my dress blues on, but I was able to, you know, put on a nice shirt and tie with my crutches and <laughs> still take part in this ceremony with our family. And so it was just, it was great. That sounds like such an amazing family event. And, you know, you mentioned just feeling so safe and like building confidence when you're surrounded by like-minded folks at these events. And the last inst- installation I was at in Japan, I saw a lot of events for adults as well, because we do have adults who are enrolled in EFMP. And so there were some adult events and I saw the same thing. I saw attendees gang together in this safe space and just really gaining confidence, sharing those resources. Um, And then a, a couple of them ended up coming out to the family events just to volunteer. So even if they didn't have kids, it was a way to have something to do, meet other people, you know, give back. And so it really was, it's really exceptional for anyone, whether it's an adult or a child, really. Yeah. And, you know, and talking about the village, I was talking to my wife yesterday and she reminded me of this story. So I need to make sure that I mention it. (laughs) One of the EFMP events we went to, Semper Canine was there and we got to see the puppies in training. Mm -hmm. Now, After my injury, mobility became a severe issue for me, and I ended up getting a service dog through Semper Canine. Wow. Now, the funny thing about this is that, you know, your Facebook memories pop up, and we had Mm -hmm. a Facebook memory pop up at this EFMP event, and my service dog, Kiernan, was one of the puppies that we met. We have a picture of my daughter holding Kiernan, and this was probably a year before I got Kiernan. No way. And so, you know, well, one... Semper Canine was great and I love Kiernan, but that's one of those resources that EFMP was able to provide. You know, it's like when I was thinking of it's like, okay, I really need a service dog. Like there's just a lot of mobility issues that I could use some assistance with. Mm -hmm. They were the first people to pop into my head. And had I not seen them at this EFMP event, 
I wouldn't have known about them. And so it's a small world, but a big world at the same time. True, true. And it's it's so awesome, like how you said earlier about you don't even realize that pieces are falling together. So, you know, we started this conversation about knowledge, knowing the law, knowing the policy. And then we kind of talked about the abundance of resources that are out there. And then we talked about the relationship building and then how each of those things help empower you, help you have this voice and help you in this advocacy journey. But it sounds like for you, you know, there's no particular order to these things. So it sounds like for you, it kind of started with the relationships. And then from there, through those relationships, you kind of learned about the laws and the policy and the resources, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can only learn so much from reading the policy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a very practical application type of person. And I feel that, you know, reaching out to those that you can build relationships with, you know, not only helps you understand the information that you've been reading a little bit more, but you can hear it in action, you know, through stories, through situations and scenarios. And, you know, the building the relationships thing was huge for us. And, you know, it's like, I like to have people in my network to help answer those questions, to fill Mm -hmm. in the who, what, when, where, why, and how for me and for my family. You know, for example, you know, what is the resource? Well, why do I need it? Mm -hmm. You know, who or where do I go to to access this resource? And then from that point, it's like, okay, well, how do I accomplish this? And then when do you recommend me doing that? Like where Mm -hmm. on the timeline does this fall? Is this something that I can wait on? Or is this something that I need to get done sooner rather than later? And, you know, yep. it's like when we started this this journey, you know, for us, you know, that was the last step. But, you know, in learning more, it's transitioned into the first step. You know, the family becoming more open and putting ourselves out there. You know, like I said, sometimes you just have to go in. You have to lay it all on the table. And, hey, this is my story. All right. Now that you know my story, where do we go from here? Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, you can only read so much um, in building your, your baseline knowledge. But... I don't know about you, but for me, word of mouth means a lot. Hearing it from somebody else who's experienced it or used it or they recommend it, that means a lot to me too. Yeah. And that was something that we were able to do at those EFMP events. Like once all the parents got down and, you know, we're sitting together and we just start talking, you know, it's like, oh, well, my my child's getting ready to transition from early intervention into pre-K. So I know that the IFSP is going to turn into an IEP. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend? They're like, oh, well, we just went through this situation two years ago. This is what you do. You awesome. know, if, if they can't help you, then this is who I contacted. And I think at one point we ended up creating a Facebook group for the EFMP parents of, you know, of Henderson Hall. And so instead of just meeting once a month and kind of getting together and asking these questions, we created a forum where whenever that question popped into your head, you could ask it and someone would reply. And so, you know, that was great. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. So Jonathan, while you were learning about the the policy, the law, all the resources out there and, and building those relationships and those networks, you probably had to stay pretty organized and prioritize in order to to stay on track with your advocacy for you and your family, it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, staying organized and prioritizing, you know, it doesn't only apply to when you have your PCS move every few years. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, for us as retirees, you know, there's a lot more planning that needs to be done. You know, not only are we dealing with every aspect of the military transition, we also have to think about our family transition. And so, you know, what's the transition going to look like from this school district to my final move? 
-hmm. you know, is my child's IEP, you know, individualized education program or 504 plan, you know, is it written in a manner that can be understood? Do we need to have that meeting before we go? And, you know, thinking about that, you know, if we're dealing with a child that is in early intervention program, they have what's called the IFSP or individualized family service plan that mm -hmm. needs to be transitioned into that IEP. You know, so these are all things that you, you may need to call that extra meeting for in order to ensure that smooth transition. You know, another thing we have to think about as retirees is that we no longer have access to ECHO, which is the extended healthcare option. And what that provides us is a very low cost solution to getting durable medical equipment. So mm -hmm. for instance, my daughter was growing, we needed a new wheelchair. She had grown out of her old one. Um, we needed a good bed for her. So she ended up getting a hospital bed. She needed an activity chair. Um, she needed a stander. And so these were all things that by using that organizing and prioritizing, we were able to plan ahead. And my wife was on top of it. She's like, I need to meet with my case manager. These are the things that these are the we need now things before mm -hmm. my husband retires. And so, you know, having that checklist, because once you retire, if you're lucky, you know, the hospital can get it for you at cost. If not, then, you know, all of that's out of pocket. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when it's retiring time for retirement or PCS, you know, and whether that's by choice or, you know, hey, it's your time to leave the military, you know, you want to make sure that you're thinking of those family needs as well. And so by organizing those thoughts, by having a folder with timelines the needs, the necessities that are coming up, you can stay ahead of those expected changes and you'll ultimately be prepared for the unexpected ones. You know, sharing a personal story, you know, we were retiring and we we're looking for the needs for the next few years. And, you know, like I said, my wife was able to do that. You know, our relationships hadn't ended yet. And so we were still able to get that information about resources and we were able to project out the benefits that are available. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, what you said about planning for short range and long range priorities, you know, in your transition, you talked about Echo no longer being available. So you have to go in and, and research and reach out to your network and say, hey, wh what's out there? You know, whether it's the folks at the hospital, is it Medicaid waivers? Is it, you know, some sort of community based program? You know, what's available? And I know. We sort of talk a little bit about this in some of our ep other episodes about financial planning or transitioning out of the military. And so some resources to consider would be those other podcast episodes, as well as the SCORE, the Special Care Organizational Record, which is available on Military OneSource to download. It's a great tool to be able to organize those educational and medical records. And when you really see it all there on paper or on the screen, laid out, it really does help you do that short range and long range planning. And another example would be on EFMP and me, there's that separation and retirement checklist. So a good example of using those separation and retirement checklists would be as if we were applying a patrol order, mm -hmm. you know, or so in the Marine Corps, you know, you say BAMSIS. And what, and what that means is, you know, begin the planning, arrange reconnaissance, make reconnaissance, complete the planning, issue the order, and supervise. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's that's something that you can pull from the military. That's something that we have access to and we're good at and apply it to something that's going on in daily life. You know, begin the planning. Okay, we know we're transitioning here pretty soon. You know, arrange reconnaissance. Okay, now we're arranging our resources and trying to to get things in order. And then you just follow those steps 
And once you've done those, you know, now it's that supervisory position. I've done everything that I need to do. Now I just need to see it happen. That's that's great. I had no idea about that, Jonathan. But that's a great example of how you can transition those military skills into the civilian life with your advocacy. I've, I've got to ask you, Jonathan, um, you know, as we wrap this up, what final pieces of advice could you offer to our listeners on this topic? Ask questions. Ask a lot of questions. Um, it's, it's the only way we're going to learn and the only way that we're going to be able to advocate. Keep on growing your village. Like mm-hmm. your village doesn't stop at your duty station. That village will still be there. You can still reach back. But at the same time, you're expanding it and moving it forward. And, you know, not only is that village growing to support you, your village is growing to support others. And, you know, there's going to be someone in your shoes at some point that has these same questions that you have that now you have the knowledge that you can share. Um, I had a had a gunny while I was in saying, you know, you have to pick up those gold nuggets and put them in your pouch. So that way you can take them out and shine them up for another day. And this (laughs) applies to the knowledge that we have is like, okay, I'm going to put it in my pack and I'm going to hold on to this because I remember it. Someday I'm going to need it. And when I need it, I'll just reach into that pack, pull it out, shine it up. And, you know, at that point, I'm able to share it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and finally, you know, make sure that you have a sounding board to speak to people to find what you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know our listeners will benefit so much from, from what you've spoken about today and your advice. And I do want to say to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Please Continue to grow your village, connect with others, share the resources like this podcast um, and the links associated with this podcast so that others may benefit as well. Make sure to visit EFMP and me. I mentioned earlier there were some particular checklists about special education, but there's checklists on a variety of topics. There's one called advocating on behalf of your child. There's one about building a support system, organizing for success, getting assistance you know, even what is EFMP. And so there's a lot of information on there, as well as in the other podcast episodes, you'll see a lot of common themes out there to assist all of our listeners. And so connect with your family support provider and start to grow your village. And again, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast for families enrolled in EFMP, brought to you by the Office of Special Needs and Military OneSource. Come back to catch our next episode on family and community life. I'm Jen Wong. Thanks for listening.